Chapter 1, Part 1 of Sin and Its Consequences. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. Chapter 1 The Nature of Sin. Part 1 it is expedient for you that i go for if i go not the paraclete will not come unto you but if i go i will send him to you and when he is come he shall convince the world of sin john chapter sixteen since last lent began how many souls that were gathered here have passed into eternity and before another lent begins how many will stand before the great white throne who among us shall be the first to go to judgment let us therefore enter upon this lent as if knowing it to be our last let us begin this time of conversion to god as if we were sure that another would never be granted to us bring forth therefore fruits worthy of penance for now the axe is laid to the root of the tree Every tree therefrom that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. These thoughts have made me choose a subject, sad indeed, and severe in all its parts, but vital to every one of us, necessary for our salvation, the root and foundation of all, I mean sin, its nature its effects its consequences and i have chosen this subject because there can be none other so necessary and because the precept of the church binding us all to confession and communion at easter begins more urgently to warn the conscience of every member of the catholic church i therefore appeal to you all I appeal to your conscience to fulfill, each one of you for yourselves, this duty of salvation, and not for yourselves alone. Fathers and mothers, warn your families and households. Friends and neighbors, warn with humility and charity all whom you know to be neglecting the practice of their duty to God the words of our divine saviour reveal to us what is the work and office of the holy ghost he shall convince the world of sin both in the old creation and in the new before the incarnation of the son of god and after his ascension into heaven it has been and it is and it will be to the end of the world the work and the office of the holy ghost to convince the world of sin that is to say to convince the intellect and to illuminate the reason of man to know and to understand what sin is and also to convict the consciences of men one by one of their sinfulness and to make them each one conscious that they are guilty before god this is the office of the holy ghost and in all time from the beginning of the world the holy spirit of god has illuminated and convinced the intellect and the conscience of men to know god and themselves and thereby to understand in some degree 
the nature of sin but the fullness of that light and illumination was reserved unto the day of pentecost when the holy ghost came in person to dwell for ever in the mystical body of christ in the beginning when god made man he made him sinless and he gave him the light of the holy spirit so that men knew god his holiness and perfections and he knew himself and the nature in which god had created him he knew the law of god but he did not know sin because as yet the law had not been broken he could not know it because he had as yet no experience of the transgression of the law with its bitterness and its fatal consequences but when man sinned against god then all was changed then he was conscious of his guilt and strove to hide himself from the face of his maker but he only hid god from his own conscience he could not escape from the presence nor from the eye of god but he could hide the light of god's presence from himself and this he did therefore from the beginning of time god in his mercy by the working and the light of his spirit taught men to know in some measure at least his own perfections and their own sinfulness but it was only like the twilight preceding the noonday we are in the noonday and if in the noonday we are blind to the perfections of god and to our own sinfulness woe to us in the day of judgment therefore my purpose is to begin by the most general outline of what sin is and to lay down certain broad but simple principles which i shall have to apply hereafter in our future subjects i therefore intend first to speak of the nature of sin of what it is and of certain distinctions of sin which will be necessary for us hereafter to refer to section one first then what is sin there are many definitions of it and one is this it is the transgression of the law sin is the transgression of the law one john chapter three verse four god is a law to himself his perfections are the law of his own nature and god wrote upon the conscience of man even in the state of nature the outline of his own perfections he made man to know right from wrong he made him to understand the nature of purity justice truth and mercy these are perfections of god and on the conscience of man the obligations of this law are written every man born into the world in a state of nature has this outline of god's law written upon him and sin is the transgression of that law another definition of sin is any thought word or deed contrary to the will of god now the will of god is the perfection of god himself holy just pure merciful true and anything contrary to these perfections in thought word or deed is sin the conformity of man to the will of god to the perfections of god is the sanctity or the perfection of the human soul 
and the more he is conformed to the will of god the holier and more perfect he is therefore to be at variance with god is to be deformed and the monstrous deformity of the human frame is not more humbling nor more hideous nay it is not humbling and hideous compared with the deformity of the soul when the soul is unlike to god when it is departed from the perfection of god when instead of purity there is impurity instead of justice there is injustice instead of truth there is falsehood instead of mercy there is cruelty instead of the perfections of god there is the direct contrary of those perfections no deformity or hideousness that can strike the eye is so terrible the malice then of sin consists in this that it is a created will in conscious variance with the uncreated will of god god made us to his own image and to his own likeness he gave us all that he could bestow upon us he could not bestow upon us his own nature because that is uncreated and no creature can partake of the uncreated nature of god but god could bestow and he did by his omnipotence with his mercy bestow upon us his likeness his image an intelligence and a will a heart and a conscience so that we become intelligent and moral beings the malice of sin consists then in this that an intelligent creature having a power of will deliberately and consciously opposes the will of its maker the malice of sin is essentially internal to the soul the external action whereby the sinner perpetrates his sin adds indeed an accidental malice and an accidental increase of wickedness but the essence the life of the malice consists in the state of the soul itself we see then that sin is the conscious variation of our moral being from the will of god we abuse our whole nature we abuse our intellect by acting irrationally in violation of the will of god which is written upon the conscience we abuse our will because we deliberately abuse the power of the will whereby we originate our actions in opposition to the will of god who gave it we apply our intellect and will with our eyes open and with freedom and choice to the perpetration of acts or the utterance of words or the harboring of thoughts which are known to be contrary to the will of god and therefore in every sin there is the knowledge of the intellect of what we are doing the consent of the will in doing it and the consciousness of the mind fixed upon the action with two objects before it the law and the lawgiver the law of god known to us and the giver of that law who is god himself so that we deliberately with our eyes open and our own free will break god's law in god's face now that is the plain definition and description of sin 
and here i must for a moment turn aside from our path these last generations have become fruitful of impiety and of immorality of a stupendous kind and among other of their impious and immoral offspring is a pestilent infidel school who with an audacity never before known in the christian world are at this time assailing the foundations of human society and of divine law they have talked of late of what they call independent morality and what do you suppose is independent morality it means the law of morals separated from the lawgiver it is a proud philosophical claim to account for right and wrong without reference to god who is the giver of the law and what is the object of this theory it is to get rid of christianity and of god and of right and wrong altogether and to resolve all morality into reason and inasmuch as it tells us the dictates of human reason are variable all over the world and change from generation to generation this philosophy denies and destroys the foundations of morality itself now i should not turn aside to mention this monster of immorality and impiety if it were not that at this time there is an effort making in england to introduce under a veil this same subtle denial of morals both christian and natural only the other day i read these words that in the education of the people it is not possible indeed as things are to teach morality without teaching doctrine because the english people are so accustomed to associate morality and doctrine together that they have not as yet learned any other foundation for morals god forbid they ever should the meaning of this is teach children right and wrong but say nothing about god nothing about the lawgiver teach them right and wrong if you will but nothing about jesus christ what is this but a stupidity as well as an impiety for morals are not the dead blind senseless relations that we have to stocks and stones but the relations of duty and of obligation we have to the living lawgiver who is our maker and redeemer there are no morals excepting in the relations between god and man and between man and man morals mean the relations and duties of living and moral agents and this independent morality this morality without god for school-children is bottomless impiety if it be not the stupidity of unbelief i could not help touching this in passing and we shall now go back to our subject once more end of chapter one part one